Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. And while we were singing that song, Silent Night, and sometimes, sure, we should celebrate Christmas because that's when Christ, God, came incarnate to this earth. But we got to push through that. So today we're going to look at what he looks like on the other end of the spectrum. Because as he came as a baby for a purpose and for a reason, and that is to live a perfect life, only to qualify him for a brutal death on a cross, a sacrificial death for you and for me, and then his resurrected life, what that looks like, and that's where we're at in the bookend on the right, the book of Revelation. We are seeing what Jesus looks like now. We can celebrate him in a manger because that's how he came. We can live for him as our savior today because this is what he looks like today. He is commander in chief of the universe. He's the one who created and sustains all things in in existence. And and today we're going to see how that unfolds a little bit further in the life of this world in Revelation. In chapter 1 we saw the resurrected Jesus in his glory. We saw what he looks like now. In chapter 2 and three, we saw the church age. That's the age we live in. That's where you and I hang out today. The church is still here. We're still in the the church age in God's kingdom agenda. And then we looked in chapter four, when the church is removed, you see in chapter four, the church is harpazoed. It's raptured. It's taken away. And it is not mentioned on this earth again until the very end when it returns with Jesus to rule and reign upon this earth. And then we moved into chapter 5 and we saw the glory of heaven. What it looked like there, man, it was just amazing. It's beyond description. It's beyond words that, that humanity has. And yet we read into that. Now, in that we paused because there is a scroll in the right hand of God the Father who is seated on the throne. And this this, uh, scroll has uh, seven seals sealed in wax or clay. And then the angel cried out and said, hey, who's going to open this scroll? And there was nobody worthy. There were people willing, but there was nobody worthy. And so out of nowhere, Jesus steps up, and he was right there all along at the right hand of the Father, and he said, I got this. And so he takes the scroll and he began to unroll it. Now we saw in chapter six, last uh, two weeks ago, we saw the, you were introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now what they introduced at God's sovereign will, he allows mankind to issue a level of wrath and suffering upon this earth against itself. But what man does to man is one thing and it's bad. It's brutally bad. But what God does when he judges this planet you ain't seen nothing yet. And so we're going to see a little bit today of when God steps in and begins, and begins to issue wrath and judgment upon this earth. Now, when you study the book of Revelation, one of the most common questions when you talk about the rapture of the church, the, the catching away of the church, there's this question that comes up, okay, well, if I'm not in the first trip, if I don't make the A-team the first cut, and I don't go to heaven with the church, and then I realize after the church is gone, woe is me, I've been playing games all along. I am not born again. I am not a child of God. The Holy Spirit has not sealed me. I am not a believer. I've been playing games. Can I be saved after the church is gone? If you've ever heard that question asked or you've wondered about it, raise your hand. 
All right? It's common. Yeah, what happens after the church? Can I still be saved? Well, we're going to be introduced today and next week, uh, excuse me, the week after next, to two groups of people that are left behind. And what happens on this earth when the church is removed? Listen, the church is, uh, contains the presence of the Holy Spirit. The church, is the, or the, the church is made up of believers. And the believers have been deposited the Holy Spirit. And so you and I, are one, as the church, are one of the things that holds, this, the, the rat, the, the, that holds the evil of this church, of this world, excuse me, in check. It is because we are here. When we're gone, things change. And so we're going to look at that today. So before we do, let me, let me lay the premise or the foundation of God's view about saving people. I want you to know right now, okay, uh, Joe said it when he was given, when he was before one, one of the songs. If you're here today and you're not a believer or you've been playing church and you've never truly surrendered your life, not to Jesus just as Savior, but as the Lord of your life. Because if he's not the Lord of your life, he's not your true Savior. And if you've never done that, I want you to know you're here today. God still extends grace and salvation to you. He does not stop until the end. And so uh, here's what God believes about salvation. 1 Timothy 2.4 says he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So if you're here today, I got good news for you. God loves you and he wants to save you. He wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ so that he can make you his very own child for all of eternity. That's good news. Amen. Amen, Brother Joel. All right. Number two, we read in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you. He, he's being patient toward you. He, he's tolerant. He's waiting. He's still trying to reach you. He wants to reach into your depth, and he's patient about it, or none of us would be here. It says, but he's being patient towards you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, I want to explain what that's not. It's not universalism. It's not inclusivism that at the end of the day, at the end of God's kingdom agenda, he saves everybody. That's not what it means. He does not force you to be saved. He invites you to be saved. He doesn't kick the door of your heart open. He gently knocks, which we saw earlier in this book. I got saved when I was 10 years old. And when I say that, it kind of makes me question because I, he convicted my heart. The Holy Spirit convicted my heart for, for five days. And I would not be saved. I, did, I, did, I was 10 years old. I was wired different. And he didn't force me, but it was like every night during that invitation, it was like he was giving me noogies, love noogies. Like, you, you need to come to me right here. That's what you need. Okay? That's what it felt like. So at the end of the week, I was like, I got to get saved. Okay? Best decision ever made in my whole entire life for all of eternity was that moment when I received the grace gift of Jesus into my life. All right? Amen. I gave him a cell phone that because it's good. Now, here's, here's what happens as we move into uh, the, the second part of chapter 6. We're going to see the first group of people left behind. I... <laughs> Hold on just a second. Jesus said, give you that. Okay, now, <laughs> if you're a visitor today, they haunt me up here. And I got something for them, okay? It's called a size 12. Now, <clears throat> Revelation 6, hold on a second. Did you see it? You're fired. <laughs> I told you it's in your job description. I'm simply, you're this close. Did you see it? it? Next time I'm flipping it on you. All right. See, devil doesn't want you to hear what this message is today. He's going to send insects, okay, locust. all right? 
All right, I call today's message another chance. God extends another chance even when the church is removed. I call it grace so glorious because it just extends, 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 offers itself to you all the while until the end. So Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, the first group of people left behind, we'll call the slain, the slain. Listen to what it says. And we're going to, look, you're going to learn something today, because I've learned something today, and, and, and maybe you know all that we're going to uncover today. Bless your heart, why didn't you tell me? All right? I want you to see today, we're going to learn what happens to people in heaven, what the, just some really amazing things. So the first thing, let's look at verse 9. It says, now, when the Lamb, who is Jesus, when he opened the fifth seal, he unrolls the scroll a little further. He says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been violently killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had given. And they cried with a loud voice, How long, sovereign master, holy and true, before you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? And then he says, Each of them under the altar were wearing, they were given a long white robe, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number was reached of both their fellow servants and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been killed. Now that's some heavy stuff. So can you be saved if you miss the catching away of the church? The answer is yes, but it is not pleasant. I want you to see this group of people. I'll call the, the first subpoint of the slain under the altar souls. Tell your neighbor they're under the altar. Now these souls are already in heaven, and we're going to learn something about them. We're going to learn where they came from and how they got there. And we're going to learn what they're aware of. I mean, it's incredible what he tells us in these few brief verses. And this one always messed me up just a little bit. I'm going to be honest. I've read Revelation many times. I've taught it many times. This one, I never, the Lord never gave me a piece about it until preparing for this message a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm excited about it. And if you already knew it, shame on you for not telling me. Okay? Now, here, here's what he says. I, he says, these souls are in heaven. So let me go ahead and, and, and put a disclaimer on this thing. Let me explain something that comes up from time to time that we want to dispel. It's called soul sleep. There are people who believe that when you die, your soul simply goes to sleep. And that it just lays there dormant until one day when Jesus puts the whole thing together at the end. That's not true. That, there, there, there is no soul sleep. Let me go ahead and tell you how significant your soul is. Your so, you are a soul with a body. See, we get it all upside down. We, we, we have a tendency to, to kind of embrace the idea that we're a body that has a soul. No, you are a soul that has been given a body to carry your soul around in while he allows you to be here. And if you go to a funeral, you know what I'm talking about. I remember going to my grandmother's funeral, and I go up there and look in the box. Why they have open casket for everybody to say, I do not know. And let me just go ahead and tell you, if I die today, and Kendra has my funeral, and they open the box up here, Okay, I'm coming back to haunt her. Okay, <laughs> now she can look at my, she can look at me. Family can look at me. Why? I'm not real sure. She needs to close that box or cremate me, put me in a vial. Okay, and and put a big old cheesy smiley picture of me. Okay, on on a little table up here because that's me. That's a picture of the soul that's within me. But when I looked at my grandmother, I, soon I was a little boy and I said, "That ain't my granny." Okay, my granny didn't look like that. She didn't brush her hair that way. I never saw her wear that much makeup. I never saw her with that dead person frown. You know what I'm talking about? You just, 
Why don't, why don't they make them smile? Especially if you know they're going, going to heaven, okay? I never saw her look like that, all right? Why? Because what I knew my grandmother was was a Christian soul. That's what I knew of her, and she had departed. Now, where did she go? Was she asleep in another room in another box? No. Her body was here. Her soul, which is really who she was, has, had gone someplace. And based on her testimony, I believe and I know it was in heaven to be with Jesus. Now, now you say, how can you back that up with Scripture? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.8, let's just uncover, unpack this a little bit. It says, in fact, we are confident and would prefer to be away from the body and to be home with the Lord. Paul says, if I'm not here, if, if my soul is not hanging out in this old body, it's gone to be with the Lord. And that is what I prefer. In Luke 23, 46, Jesus cried from the cross with a loud voice. He gave up the ghost. Jesus gave it his spirit. His soul went to heaven. And you know what happened to his body? They took it off the cross and they put it in a tomb, right? His soul had gone on. We read later that he had gone into hell to preach freedom to the captives. Don't even try to act like you understand what that is because there ain't enough scripture to know. We'll just say, wow, that's cool and move on. Okay, But what we do know is his body was in a, a, a cave, in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, and his spirit, his soul had gone somewhere else. In 1 Peter 3, 18 and 20, we, we learn that Christ was put to death in the body, but not in the soul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul refers to a personal trip he had to heaven. And he says, I'm not sure if I went in bodily form or if my spirit just kind of went on without me. He believed in this thing called separation of soul and body. In Luke 16, you've got the rich man and Lazarus. We'll look at them later. They're separated from their bodies. Now, Philippians says to live is Christ. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, dying in your soul just sleeping is not gain. Gain is when your soul leaves this broken body and this broken world and is ushered into the presence of the Lord. That's gain. Amen? It makes sense when you look at it. So what, what, we, what we see today is there are souls under the altar. This has bothered me for probably 25 years of studying the Bible. This one freaked me out just a little bit, and I'm going to tell you why. I am claustrophobic. It means I do not like to be in closed-in places. The only one I know that likes closed-in places uh, less than me would be Kelsey, my daughter. And Kelsey and Clark just got home from the mission field. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, now, she hates an elevator. If you, if you go in an elevator, it's just she and I, we're in an elevator. Okay, everything's cool. We're getting ready to go for a little ride. And then out of nowhere, they just let out the ball game. And, and all of a sudden... You know, and she starts really like hyperventilating. It just kind of, you know, makes me sweat a little bit, you know, and just kind of freaks me out. So the whole time I'm reading this, this is what was in, in the image of your preacher. Now, I, I, I'm the first to tell you I'm a little bit messed up, okay? My image was these souls are under the floor in heaven, like a glass floor, crying out, How much longer? Let us out! It's like going to the Red Dragon Buffet in Oak Ridge, and they got a glass aquarium floor, and you can see these big uh, goldfish swimming around. That's what my image was. I, I would rather go to hell. I'm claustrophobic. I don't want to be under a glass floor pressing, crying out, how much longer? You know, I don't want that. That's not what it is. Now, I know you all had that figured out. I didn't have it figured out till studying for this message. So I did a little work. What does it mean that there are souls under the altar? When you look it up in Greek, the implication is that these souls are beneath 
the altar, not the floor. It's not like they're under this table. They're under the altar from the Old Testament, which was a picture of the sacrifice that made atonement for their sin. These are souls who are under the shed, sacrificial gift, grace gift of Jesus, born again, saved. They're under, the, they're under Jesus. That's who these are. So, so this first group we find in heaven after the church are those slain who are saved during the tribulation period. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is it says that they had been violently killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony that they had given. Violently killed. So the question is, who are these people? Because some people will say, well, this is the Christians of all the ages. That's who it's talking about. I don't know what Christians you run around with. I can tell you this much. I know a lot of people who have professed their faith in Christ who have now gone on to be with the Lord. I do not know one who has been violently killed because of their testimony. Not one. Okay? Now, they may have died of sickness. They may have died of old age. They may have had a tragedy. But they weren't violently killed because of their testimony. These are people in the tribulation people, in the tribulation period that the Antichrist, under his leadership, these people will have an opportunity to receive Christ and give their testimony. And when they do, they will be violently killed because of their testimony. And, and so, so what does that look like? Because you do not live in a land of persecution, okay? You just don't. We, we, we stab at it. We pretend at it. We talk as if we do. Listen to this. We don't share our testimony as if the world has some major persecution to place against us because we share our testimony. And let me just be real honest. We as a church, we as Christians, your pastor, share our testimony with a lost and dying world way too little. Amen, Brother Joel. Crickets. Nothing. All right? You know it's true. Why? Well, my friends are going to persecute me. No. Well, my, my job, my environment, I'm going to be persecuted. Well, my world. No, you're not. You live in America. If, you want, if, if that's going to be your testimony, if the reason you don't share your testimony is because of persecution, move to the Middle East. Move to North Korea. Okay, then you can say in truth before God, the reason I don't share my testimony is because of risk of persecution. Okay, let me tell you what persecution looks like to the church today. This is about the extent of our persecution. This is a newspaper article from a couple of weeks ago. You probably heard about it. Jennifer Sinclair, the newly appointed principal of Manchester Elementary School in Omaha, Nebraska, tried to change the Christmas code in her elementary school. She compiled a list of unacceptable items during the Christmas season at the elementary school that she leads. The list included the following, would be exiled from the Christmas season at her school. Christmas trees, Santas, elves on a shelf, Christmas carols, Christmas-related books, Christmas ornaments, reindeer, as well as all multimedia materials, including Christmas movies. They all made the blacklist. But the overzealous educator did not stop at that. They also, she also axed candy canes of all colors since their J shape is for Jesus. Red is the blood of the cross and the white is the symbol of resurrection. And she also would not allow red and green to be combined in any form during this season. She knows way too, she knows more about Jesus than a lot of people that say they're Christians. Okay. Lost is a ball in high weeds, no doubt about it. 
Okay? Now, the parents rightfully, rightfully so went to the school board and said, are, you, are we going to let her do that? Can she do that? The school board said, no, it does not align itself with our policy, so she can't do that. You know, that's, that's, that's where we live in persecution. You're not going to give your testimony because somebody's going to make you stop uh, having a Christmas tree in your house. You know, I mean, what is that? We, we, we have every reason to share our testimony with a lost and dying world. We have every call, every mandate, every call and command and commission to share our testimony, and yet we refuse to do it at the risk of persecution in a world that we live in that is not even remotely persecuted. And so here's this group of people now. This is what puzzles me. These people die a violent death because of their word of testimony and because of the word of God. Who's going to be willing to die for their testimony in that world when we don't even share our testimony in a world where there is no persecution? Who's going to be willing, you know, when the speaker says to the group after the church is removed, everybody bow your heads because we don't want anybody looking around. If you're here today and you really believe Jesus was God, Jesus died on a cross to save people with his sacrifice, and you place your faith in him, will you raise your hand? <laughs> Knowing what happened to the last group, who's going to say, yeah, that's me, sign me up, shoot me, you know, feed me. I don't know what violent death is. I, I don't even know. It doesn't define that. But it's not pleasant. And these believers are slain because of their testimony. So you got there under the altar. They're violently killed. The third thing I want you to see is they have this awareness. And we're going to talk about something in heaven because this is kind of weird. You know, you want to know what happens in heaven, what it's going to be like. <clears throat> it doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. And so one of the things we see in verse 10, it says, Now they cried with a loud voice, How long, sovereign master, holy and true, before you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood. And so they're aware that God has not penalized those who have murdered them. They're aware that this thing has not been rectified or justified and the books have not been settled. Now, let me explain what I don't think it is. We hear people from time to time, you'll see celebrities or you'll see uh, athletes sometime do it. You know, yeah, it's been a tough year. You know, my grandmother who raised me, you know, went to heaven. And then they'll say this, but I believe she's still watching me today. She's right here with us. She's watching my every minute. I, no, that's not true. That's not true. There's no way it's true. Because let me, let me explain why it's not true that they're watching your every move. Because if somebody that I love goes to heaven, they're in heaven. Everything's good in heaven. It's good in the heavenly hood. And if they're watching every move I make, I am going to make some moves that will not be good in heaven. Now, I know I stand alone, and you all are sinless and perfect, but your preacher sometimes messes it all up. And so if I've got people who are watching my every move, trust me, there is one who watches my every move, the triune Godhead. He's watching it all, okay? But as far as my, the people I love who have gone on to heaven, they're not watching my every move. Now, do they have an awareness? I think God allows some level of awareness. But it's not watching my every mistake and my every success. And so... Luke 15.10 tells us a little bit about this awareness between the two. It says, I'll tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in heaven there's an awareness. If you're hearing another one right there, right there, okay? 
Um, if, you, if you get saved today or you repent of a sin or you turn your life around today and, and, and repent of your sin, the angels rejoice. So they're aware of some of those things that you do. I don't know the, the, the level or the depth of that, but it refers to it. Let me, sh- let me show you a real good picture of the reality that sometimes exists between heaven and hell. It says in Luke 16, verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. And he was covered with sores and longing to eat with uh, what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. That's pleasant. The time came when the beggar died and the angels now carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and he was buried. And in Hades or hell where he was in torment... He looked up from Hades and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus was by his side. Now he's in hell looking up and there's those in heaven looking down, Abraham in particular, and they're now going to have a conversation. Now you could say, well, this is metaphoric, you know, whatever. This is a parable, whatever you want to call it. But there's a truth found in this story. And it says this, it says, Father Abraham Uh, uh, The rich man cries out, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip a tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, here it is, there is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can someone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Now, you know the rest of the story. There is an awareness in this story, in Scripture, between heaven and earth and hell and heaven. And I don't know what all of that looks like, but I'm telling you this. There is a heaven waiting for those in Christ, and there is a hell waiting for those that spurn and reject his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And in the book of Revelation, we see today the first group, those slain for their testimony, those who placed their faith in Jesus, and it cost them their physical existence. The next thing I want you to know is these souls who are under the altar, they are given clothing. It says each of them was given a long white robe. Now, they don't have a body, but their soul is able to wear clothing. Okay. Now we don't know if this is, this is not like a cotton gown, you know, it's not like a, you know, a, a, one of those white robes, like you put in on in a fancy restaurant with your initials on it. Okay. What they're clothed in, listen, is the righteousness, the rightness, the right standing of Jesus. This is really good stuff. If you're a believer, <clears throat> this should really make you feel good inside. Here it is. When God looks at your pastor, he sees perfection. (laughs) You shut up. (laughs) He sees rightness. He sees no blemishes, no flaws, no sin. Because he sees me in the righteousness, in the right standing of Jesus. God helped me understand that probably 15 years ago. And and I, 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 I just... Hang on to that. That when God looks at me, he doesn't see what I see. He doesn't see what my wife sees. He doesn't. 
Well, he didn't see what I see when I looked at you either. Okay? He doesn't see what I see when I look in the mirror and I don't see rightness. And I don't see right standing and perfection with God. He sees me, wow, listen, clothed in the white raiment, in the, in the rightness of Jesus. When I walk around, man, when God looks at me, I'm walking around in the white raiment of Jesus. And, and, and one day it'll be real and come to fruition, and I'll see it too. Right now it's, it, it is his heavenward perspective of my life. Okay, Now these souls are in heaven, and these souls now have been, they've been clothed in this white raiment. Next, I want, you, I want you to see why they're just hanging around under the altar. Why are they not part of the party? Okay. Well, it says they were told to rest for a little while because they just finished, you know, they cried out, you know, how much longer till you avenge our blood? It says they were told now to rest for a little while until the full number was reached of both their fellow servants and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been killed. So they're asking God, God, when are you going to pay them back? When, look what they did to us. When are you going to implement your justice and your righteousness and your holiness and your perfection? When are you going to uh, uh, apply it to the world that has taken our life because of our testimony and the word of God? He says, you're going to have to wait a little while because it's not finished. Here it is. The enemy and evil is not fully satisfied yet. And so Jesus says, I can't judge an unfinished work, okay? That's, you got to wait till it's all finished, and then I'm going to judge it. When I judge it, it's going to be complete judgment upon the completeness of evil. Now, that works. That knife cuts both ways, okay? Let me explain what I mean. Um, however you live your life, if you live your life for Christ, sold out, complete, full, and free, man, just committed to him and his kingdom agenda, he will one day reward you for the life you lived, okay? I'm just, it's just what Scripture says. You will be rewarded. In fact, the Bible says that we go through the judgment fire, and some people come out, man, they got rewards, and other people come out, they smell like they've been to a weenie roast. They just smell like the smoke. They barely got through. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I don't want to be that guy. Now, it's not like we're going to be in heaven. How many, how many crowns do you get to give to Jesus? Yeah, I got six. Oh, I got ten. You know, kind of like the guys when I was in high school. We took the ACT, and I, my brother had scored in the high 20s. And so when I got mine, I, I don't care to tell you, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. I got 18, okay? And I remember two of my friends that I played ball with, they said, hey, man, they were excited. How'd you do on the ACT? I said, I, said, I didn't do so good because I was comparing mine to my brother's. And they said, we got 13s. They, they, I said, I got an 18. Like I'm now, I'm a, I went from ignorant to an astrophysicist right there in that one conversation. Okay, and 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 so so here's the thing: it's not so we can brag or be you know comparing what gifts we've been given or rewards we've been given, but God will reward us in heaven on how we live our life. And the reason He has okay, those who have gone into heaven, they don't have the rewards yet. Here's why: because their work is not complete. Peter and James and John. Uh, the, and, and, and Paul, these who wrote scripture, these who were part of the early church, their work is still going on. 
Their rewards are still accumulating. Billy Graham and Billy Sunday and whoever else you want to put on the list who have led people to Jesus, their rewards go on until this book is complete and then they are judged based on the fullness of those gifts. That's why it's so important, church. It's, it's why it's so important, believer, that you live every day for Jesus Christ and you commit to this world, the Jesus who has come into your life to rescue you because you never know you might share the gospel with the next Billy Graham and then they might lead thousands of people to Jesus Jesus may use them to rescue uh, thousands or millions of people out of Satan's grip into the kingdom of God and you got to play a part in it that's kind of cool so it matters how you live your life and it's not over so you got the slain another group of people that you have which we'll see is the shaken now, the shaken are found in verse 12. These are people who are on this earth that were not evacuated at the rapture. These are people now who have not been slain for their testimony because they don't have a testimony. And before we get to them, let me address something. If you are here today, and you obviously are, and you profess to be a Christian, and you don't have a testimony, you're not a Christian. So I'll say it again. If you claim to be a Christian and yet you don't have a testimony that shares the story of your sinfulness and God's grace coming into your world and rescuing you and adopting you into his kingdom, there is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have a testimony. I don't think I ever heard that preached in my whole life. I don't think I ever heard anybody say that. They might have said it, I just wasn't listening. But if you don't have a testimony... You're not a child of God. And I remember growing up, I, have a, I thought I had a terrible testimony. Because listen to my terrible little testimony. I was raised in a Christian home, had a drug problem. They drug me to church every time the doors were open. Sometimes they'd unlock it to drag me in on those days. And I always thought it was because my mom was practicing the piano or my dad was counting the money. But it has only come to revelation to me in the last few weeks. The reason they drug me down all the time, they were scared to death. I was going to hell. And, and they knew I was, okay? And I was wired different. And they had to expose me to the gospel at every turn. They drug me down their church. And then in revival, I got saved as a 10-year-old boy. That's a terrible, pitiful testimony when you go to the youth evangelistic conference as a teenager and you hear what a really good testimony is. A heroin addict who axe murdered their mother got saved in prison. Now that's a good testimony, right? Have you ever felt that way? Like, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. Young people, listen to me. The greatest testimony you'll ever have for Jesus Christ is that while I was a child, Somebody told me about Jesus, and I tried to live for him with everything I had my whole life. The absolute best testimony ever given. Because listen, now I want you to hear me. Your testimony is not about your badness. Your testimony is about his greatness. And when your badness trumps his greatness, you got a messed up testimony, and you need to work on that. Your testimony is not about how bad you are. It's about how good he is. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of your testimony is your life before. But when your badness, you've heard people talk about all the badness. Yeah, I did this, I did this. And you're like, are you here to tell about how bad you can be or how good he is? Okay, and at the end, yeah, Jesus saved me. No, your testimony is all about the greatness 
of Jesus. And I want you to come next week to our Christmas service because we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to challenge you in something that the Lord has put on my heart. Now, these, this next group of people don't have a testimony. They're, here, they're still here on this earth. The church is gone. Many have been murdered, violently killed. They've been taken away. Now we have this group. It says, then I looked when the Lamb opened now the sixth seal, and a huge earthquake took place, and the sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair. And the full moon became blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree dropping its unripe figs when shaken by a fierce wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the very important people, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to withstand it? You see, when we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we saw famine, death, martyrdom, uh, economic collapse. All of it was human afflicted. It was all at the hands of mankind. But when we get to chapter 6, God steps up and says, now it's my turn. And he begins to pour wrath out on this people. And they're not saved, okay? They're hiding from this wrath that is before them. And so today, we don't have to talk about the wrath that God's going to pour out on this earth. It says everything you need to know. When stars are falling from the sky, when the earth is coming apart at the seams, busting wide open, okay, God is pouring out his wrath upon this earth. And you say, okay, so where does that leave me? I don't know. Where does it leave you? So here's the question. If you, if you, in your heart, went before God on this Sunday, today, and simply said, God, where am I at with you? Am I saved? Am I born again? Has your Holy Spirit sealed me as your child of adoption? If you come back today for your church Will I go or will I stay? And here's what we do. We know the answer to the question before we ever ask it. In the depths of our soul, we know whether we are a child of God or whether we are not. Whether we are born again and the Spirit of God lives in us or whether we are not and He does not. So here's what happens. The enemy, he deals in the gray matter. And what he does, he starts speaking to your gray matter in the flesh. And he says, you're a good person. You go to church. You do this. You do that. You do the other thing. And if that's what the gray matter is speaking into your life, you should be concerned. If your salvation has anything to do with what you do, it's not real salvation. Your salvation only has everything to do with what he has done in your life. And I want to tell you, I didn't understand that when I was a 10-year-old boy. 
All I understood was when I heard the, that question, do you know that you know if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? When I heard that, I knew it wouldn't. I just knew it. And I couldn't tell you what the preacher preached. But I knew in the depths of my being that there was a God out there that was bigger than my little goofy mind could comprehend, whispering into the soul of me, saying this, I love you right where you are so much that I died to make you my own. And if you'll let me come into your life, I'll save you and forgive you and make you my own starting today. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You will be my child forever. It was, it was, did God speak to me in an audible voice? No, he spoke much louder. I can mess this up. You can ask my wife. I can't mess this up when he spoke into my soul. And as a little boy who was so confused and so wired differently, I knew he spoke through all the noise. And there I found myself now with the opportunity, the awesome responsibility of saying yes or no to Jesus. And I said, I want Jesus to save me. I walked down in the front of that church, and I told the preacher, I don't really know everything you're talking about, but I believe Jesus wants to save me tonight. And that preacher said, I want you to pray with me. And you know what? came into my life 46 years ago. And he's been in my life ever since. And when I read the book of Revelation, the final, the bookend on the right, there's nothing in there that startles me or scares me because I got a God who calls me his own. And he's going to take care of everything, everything, and I don't have to worry about it ever. There's not a day now that I wake up and wonder, God, Am I saved? I never, I know, I know, I know I'm saved. I know the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. I know. And I'm messed up still. But he's working on me every day. And one day, I'll see me like he sees me. I look forward to that day. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to tell you something. It's Christmas. <laughs> and I could wrap something up and give it to you. I could give you a new shirt. I could give you maybe a watch. Ladies, I could maybe give you a necklace or some perfume. I could give you a wonderful Christmas gift. I want to tell you this. The greatest gift that's ever been given for Christmas is when God came to this earth in the form of a little baby named Jesus. And I stand before you today, and if you don't know him, and if he's not in your life, I want to give you him. I want you to receive him into your life. I don't want you to receive some form of religion. I don't want you to receive some superficial something. I want you to receive God into your life. He wants to come into your life and save you and call you his own. And maybe when I suggested that question a few minutes ago, God, am I saved? God, am I a child of yours? 
God, if you came back today, would I go with you? And the answer was probably not. I want to invite you today to receive the greatest Christmas gift you could ever receive. And his name is Jesus. And he's not just a baby. And he's not just a sacrifice on a cross. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the resurrected, glorified God. And he wants to be the God of your life. And if you need to do that today, I'm asking you right now, if you need to pray that today and receive Christ, would you put your hand up just so I can pray for you? Just slip your hand up. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else that you know today, you need to receive Christ real for the first time. Slip your hand up where I can see it. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe you're here and you're you're in that place of where you just you're just not sure. If you're not sure, you're sure. If you're not sure, then you're sure. Because he wants you to be sure of your eternal destiny. I would invite you right now, right there in the privacy of your seat bowed and every eye closed. And I want to invite the whole church just to say this out loud with me. Lord God, I come to you right now. Some of you didn't understand. I want the whole church lost and saved to say this prayer with me, with all together. Lord God, I come to you right now. I thank you for the most amazing Christmas gift ever given. you would come to this earth for me, that you would come on a rescue mission wrapped in swaddling clothes to save somebody like me. And I don't fully understand the depth of your love, but I understand my sinfulness. So I confess it to you. I repent of my sin and I want Jesus to come into my life and start a work that won't be complete until I get home with you. I don't want to just say a prayer. I want to receive you in my life and I want your Holy Spirit to mark me so I can live for you. I thank you for hearing my prayer. I thank you for this amazing Christmas gift. In Jesus' name, amen. I never, ever, ever get tired of saying that prayer. Often, as a preacher, you're saying it in hopes that somebody would receive his grace gift. I say it because ever since I said it the first time, every time I say it, it warms my heart that what he did so many years ago, he's still doing today and he'll never stop. I love saying it and I'll be honest with you, there's days I wish I'd get saved all over again. It's that good. So if you just prayed that prayer, I want to invite you in just a minute to come down here in the front with me. You don't have to. 
thinking this day that this is the day that you have been forever changed and you don't have to worry about it anymore. I'll just say a prayer with you. That's all. That's all. And maybe you're here today and, and you're a Christian. You've given him your life, but it just doesn't look much like his life. And you want to recommit yourself to him. I would invite you to come forward to this altar and just, just kneel in prayer and say, God, that's me. I want my life to be different. I don't want it to look like everybody else. So I'm committing myself to you to a whole nother level. Touch me. Use me. Let's move out and change the world.